Good morning. There's, well, I'm not much of a uh, poetry guy. I try, and, and it's, it's mostly enjoyable, but, but I struggle with it. It might have something to do with the fact that I was an engineer um, before I started my second life as a priest. There's one poem that always stuck out to me that I actually did enjoy um, by Robert Frost. Many of you probably know it, um, Mending Walls. Um, and in this poem, the narrator, narrator meets his neighbor at the wall every year in the springtime, and they rebuild the wall after the trials of the winter, the, the frost freezing it and cracking it and knocking stones off of it and the hunters passing through it and leaving gaps. And, and, and they engage in this ritual, perhaps you could even call it a liturgy, every year of rebuilding the wall. And the narrator questions this. What, why are we rebuilding this wall? Are you worried that your pine trees are going to come over here and get, on, get over here with my oak trees? Or are my oak trees going to come over here to your pine trees? And, and, and the neighbor's response, good walls make good neighbors. Good walls make good neighbors. That's what he would say over and over again, that somehow this line that divides us, that separates us, that limits us, makes us good neighbors. And um, the poem really questions that, a fabulous poem. And, and I share that with you simply because it stuck with me and it struck me as we read um, this passage from the good uh, passage, this parable of the Good Samaritan, that I think Jesus would say the, the complete opposite, that that, that walls don't actually make good neighbors. That a good neighbor is defined by one who breaks down walls, who extends his love, who plows through these walls to find a neighbor. Keep that in your mind as we go through our passage this morning. So we've got Jesus, and he's um, being questioned by a, a lawyer, and I'm not going to pick on lawyers today per se, but um, the fact is this was a lawyer asking the question. And so he says, and it's a fine question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Except we have a motivation problem, don't we, here? He doesn't actually want the answer to the question. He wants to test Jesus. Verse 25, behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. He knows the answer. He, he, he's a lawyer. He's a master in the law. That's what he does. He knows the answer to the question. He's testing Jesus, and so Jesus knows this, and he sees it, and he turns it back on him, and he says, well, why don't you tell me the answer to the question? And the lawyer, I can imagine him puffing up and saying, well, the answer is, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer takes a passage from Deuteronomy and another passage from Leviticus, and he says, These two commandments, they sum up the entire law that was given to us by Moses. How shall I inherit eternal life? By by following these commandments. Love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus says, You got it, buddy. You got it. You are absolutely correct. Now, here's, um, here's what I want you to hang on to this. Hang on to the, this point here. The, the lawyer gets it. He gets the right answer, and he, he responds um, in two ways. He says, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, loving God, that, that is an, um, 
internal thing, if you will. That's between you and God, and you express it in different ways, but, but loving God is something um, inside of you. That's an internal thing. Loving your neighbor is an external thing. It's something that other people can see and witness and know about you. And so, on one level, you can't really love your neighbor very well at all if you don't love God, Correct? If you don't love God, and if you don't know that love of God, you can't very well express that kind of love to your neighbor. But I think the reverse is also true. Sometimes we need to love our neighbors, we need to show love to our neighbors, so that we can know how to love God. I think it goes both ways. You love God, therefore you love your neighbor, but sometimes when we love our neighbors... We actually experience the love of God. And any of you who have been on, <clears throat> on a mission trip know this. Because the common refrain when folks come back on the mission trip, ask anybody who just went to Honduras, is something like this. Uh, we thought we were going to go down there to bless them, and they ended up blessing us. We thought we were going to go down there to show them God's love, and we actually learned more about how God loves us by doing that. And so it is with this. You love God, you're going to love your neighbor. But when you show love to your neighbor, you realize the depth of God's love for you. And so the lawyer got the question right. I and mean, he was spot on. He, he, he knew it, but I don't think he understood it. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who, who, is my neighbor. Who exactly am I supposed to show this love to, Jesus? Who is it? So, so for the lawyer, this was a transactional thing. He was checking off his list. You tell me who my neighbor is, I'll show him love, and then we'll be good to go, and I'll inherit the eternal life thing. That's easy. I can do that. Who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify himself because Um, frankly, he had an expectation of who his neighbor was. He's a faithful Jewish man. He's a strict adherent to the law. It's very clear who the people of God are. It's the sons of Abraham, those who have been circumcised, those who are a member of the nation of Israel, those who are Jewish. That's the people of God. That's the ones we're supposed to love. That's our neighbors. Everybody else is excluded. Good fences make good neighbors. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's expecting Jesus to say. He's trying to justify himself because if that's how you define neighbor, this guy's in. That's easy. I can love people that look like me and act like me and that I actually like to be around. That's easy to do. Now get eternal life, right? By asking for a definition of neighbor, this guy was trying to limit his responsibility. I've got a picture that illustrates that. I hope you all can see it. Can you all see that? <laughs> this guy's job, his responsibility, was to paint the line on the road. It is not his responsibility to move sticks out of the way. He's following the law. Do you see that? He's following the law. He has placed limits on his responsibility. 
I'm not the stick-moving guy. I'm the line-painting guy, and that's what I'm going to do. And if I do that, I'll get my paycheck, and I can come back to work tomorrow and do it again. That's kind of like what the lawyer is doing. That's kind of like what we try to do. We're trying to justify ourselves by limiting our responsibility, by limiting our definition of neighbor. But let's tie these things together. Remember the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we show love like that, that limits responsibility, that defines, limits our definition of neighbor, we're actually reflecting what we think about God and how we think He loves us. Does that make sense? How we show love to others reflects how we believe that God loves us. So the lawyer's belief was simply this. God loves me because I'm part of God's covenant people. I'm part of the nation of Israel. So I will show love in the same way. The question we need to ask ourselves is what does our actions, what do our actions and our attitudes and the love we show to our neighbors and how we define our neighbors, what does that say about our belief in God's love? Do we believe in a God who created everybody in his image, who loves them unconditionally, who died for them on a cross without condition? And do our behaviors reflect that? Do our behaviors reflect that? Well, so how does Jesus respond to this question? Because this is a sticky one. Um, who, Jesus, is my neighbor? Well, he could, you know, he could answer. Um, he could say, well, X, Y, Z, these three points define your neighbor. But he doesn't. He gives a story, a fabulous story. And he responds with this parable. So there is um, a man walking on the street from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is um, a, a decently long highway, and it's very dangerous Um, There were lots of thieves and robbers on it, as we see in our parable. And so they attack him. They leave him on the side of the road dying. And three people walk to this man. The first one is a priest. He sees the guy. He doesn't simply pass him. He actually crosses the road to pass him. The second one is a Levite. He also passes the guy, leaving him on the side of the road to die. These were the upper class of the Jewish people, these, you know, the, the priests, the, the ones who work in the temple, who offer sacrifices to God, they're called to a special kind of holiness, and they walk right by the guy. And the Levite walks right by the guy. But the third guy stops. He's a Samaritan. He is a half-breed. He is um, an enemy of the Jewish people. They want nothing to do with him. If you wanted to find define the opposite of neighbor for this lawyer, it would be Samaritan. That would be, if anybody in the world was excluded from a definition of neighbor, it would be a Samaritan. And yet in this story, in Jesus' response to his question, the one who stops is a Samaritan. And so we need to pull two things out of here. First one is this. The love of our neighbor, and hence the love of God, is not restrictive. 
It is not restrictive. The lawyer wants to restrict who a neighbor is, and Jesus responds by expanding it. You think you know who your neighbor is, you're not even close. You're not even close. The one that you think is farthest away from being your neighbor is actually the one you need to be a neighbor to. Jesus, he does this all the time. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's um, you know, speaking on, on, a, on a moral level as well. And he, he says, you've heard it said you shall not commit murder, right? And I'm, you know, most of us in this room, I'm guessing, can, can go along with that. But he also says, I tell you, anyone who has shown anger in their heart towards their brother has committed murder. So instead of limiting responsibility, he's expanding responsibility. Instead of limiting the definition of neighbor, he's expanding the definition of neighbor. Second thing is this, that we need to gather from this story. Love of our neighbors is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. This guy didn't simply help him because it was convenient. He attended to his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He brought him to an inn. He paid what would be the equivalent of three weeks for this guy to stay at the end, the end, do you know how much money that is? I can't imagine. For us, three weeks at a hotel. And he tells the innkeeper, if it costs more than that, I'll come back. I'll give you more. I'll take care of it. This man gave a lot of himself in order to love his neighbor. So then... How might that impact us today? Well, I want to give you um, three sort of application example points. Um, And the first one, to me, is most obvious. It has to do with showing acts of mercy. To love our neighbor, as Jesus is calling us to do, to reflect the love of God, as Jesus is calling us to do, we are called to be be merciful to those um, who are in need. And so, you know, we have our food bank that, that we just had it yesterday, and we, we have it once a month, and I don't see Kathy here, but she was telling us a story in staff meeting. She was relaying to the children um, what we were doing at, kid, at kids' camp. She was relaying to the kids what we were doing in our um, food bank, our food distribution. And she used a story. And she said, why, why do you think those two passed the guy lying on the side of the road? One of the children rose their hand and said, they didn't want to get dirty. Are you willing to get dirty to show your neighbor love? Are you willing to expand your definition of neighbor? Are you willing to go looking for neighbors to reflect the love of God? Second point is this, and this one's not quite so obvious, but, but, but it ties in. This idea that um, expanding and sacrificing is the demonstration of God's love, I would simply ask you this question. How are you expanding and sacrificing in the area of money, in the area of your finances? How are you being neighborly with what you do with your money? We struggle with this, friends. This is a hard thing for us. We're tight. I know I am. It's hard to let go of that. We got bills to pay. We have children to feed. We have shoes to buy. We have, well, we have boats that we need to keep up. How are you being neighborly with your finances? Jesus is going to call you. If you look at your budget, Jesus is not going to let you limit yourself. 
Okay, we can get in this idea of self-justification. Well, I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and I need that, and then I will give some away. Or you can say, Jesus is calling me to expand this. He's calling me to do more. He's calling me to reach out. Can you do that? And can you do it when it's going to cost you something? When it's going to be a sacrifice? That's the challenge. Giving money is, is, is fine when you have lots of it, but it's hard to do when it means you're going to have to give something up. Can you do that? Will you do that? Can you receive the love of God and express that love in your finances? That's a challenge. If you read your article on the Sunday News, and I, I commend it to you, you realize that in terms of St. Paul's and what we're doing in 2013, these things, mercy and finances, they go hand in hand. And I think we're doing pretty good on the mercy side of things and getting dirty. Y'all are fabulous. How are we going to do on the financial side? I did say there were three examples. I don't want to give you a bunch of law and then leave you. The final example is this. The good Samaritan points us to something more, points us to something greater, a deeper reality that reveals the love of God for his people. The good Samaritan um, in, a, in a microcosm is Jesus Christ himself. Talk about expanding your definition of neighbor. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a pretty good neighborhood. I would probably stay there. But not Jesus. He comes down from heaven. He gets dirty. He expands his definition of neighbor even beyond this idea of God's covenant people. He says, no, no, the good news is God loves everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what your race is, how much money you have, how little money you have, whether you're a male or a female, a slave or a master, a father or a child, it doesn't matter. You're all my neighbors and I love you all and I will sacrifice to show that love to you. I will give myself on the cross to show you how much I love you. And then you'll receive that inheritance the lawyer asked about. The inheritance of eternal life. Do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? Are you reflecting that love to others? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have called us to stop justifying ourselves, to expand and to sacrifice and to receive your love for us. Help us, Lord, empower us. We, we can't do this by ourselves. We can't simply will this, but, but help us, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Help us, Lord, to show that love to our neighbors. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who does not know your love for us, that you would make it abundantly clear to them this morning. And if there's anyone who's questioning how to show love to our neighbors, that you would show them.
We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.